0: All right, so let me give you a quick pleasantry. My wife always says, Let them know a little bit about yourself. Uh, I am a husband of 31 years to my wife, be 32 in September. We have three children, nine grandchildren, and one great grandchild and one on the way. Yeah. Now I know what you're asking. You're too young. Well, when you start early, you can get a lot accomplished. <laughs> Right. I was not the guy that says, well, we got to make sure we can afford kids. When do you ever afford kids? Right. But I can love them with the love of God immediately. And that's what I wanted to leave in their lives. So anyway, um, uh, my oldest son is EMT firefighter. Uh, His wife, uh, she oversees a teen pregnancy home and um, we partner with her with our ministry Uh, My second son, he is our creative director at Anchor Church, and his wife works with us administratively. My daughter works with us at the church as well. She does uh, things within our preschool, and her husband works with our creative team as well. They all come to our church, which is awesome, and so we get to see our grandkids all the time, probably more than maybe I would like sometimes, (laughs) because everybody wants to come to Mimi's house. I'm paying for it. I don't know why it's not mine. I don't even have this Big poppy's Jeep. I don't have nothing. I mean, I'm just there. Okay? So uh, anyway, um, uh, we have a great time with our family. We pioneered Anchor Fade Church back in 2004. Uh, We've been there 18 years. And um, we started in a school, went to a storefront. Both of those transitions were three years long. Then we moved to the mall and the theater. And um, been there ever since. And somewhere along the line, the Lord says, you're going to buy this piece of property. So uh, through the fight of faith, um, 17 years as a ministry in the community with no property, only leasing, we finally signed on a piece of property, December the 21st, 2021, and we have 25 and a half acres and a mall that is 200,000 square feet. Now again, that's not like your big mall, okay? It's a small, smaller mall, but we are revitalizing it. By all rights, it was shut down. So I've already told the paper, you know, when they ran it, that we purchased it. I said, there's coming a day that you're going to run another article. It's going to say, Church Resurrects Mall. That's going to happen. Amen. And so we're in the process. We have four, five leases right now signed. Belk is a anchor store with us. We've added four more, about to add a fifth one. So I believe by this time next year, the mall will be full of tenants that are paying us to advance the kingdom of God amen and then we'll expand into our other um facility or jc where jc penny was and um because our church is growing we have a private school uh uh preschool we have a church in valdosta one in Managua. we're going to plant one in dominican republic this summer we are just doing the will of god i am like jesus i'm about my father's business amen all right So I'm going to let you know today, because this service is supposed to go till 10.30. The pastor has told me that, you know, technically, second service doesn't start till 11. So that means we could go to 10.59, (laughs) technically speaking, right? Okay. And um, in my facility, we're in a theater. So I always tell our congregation, these seats are conditioned for two, two and a half hours. And you used to watch movies here. So just go ahead and settle in, and we'll have a good time. Amen. Um, but I am—I what I love about two services when I go, you know, travel minister is that I am not going to preach the same message in both services. So I'm going to preach something totally different in the second service. Well, what is it? Stay, and you'll find out. <laughs> At the end of the day, just stay, or you'll have to get the recording. All right. So those who are coming in second service. Are, they are not getting what you're getting. They'll have to go online. Okay? Um, but, you know, there, it's about a deposit. And at the end of the day, I want to deposit something to stir you up so that hopefully in a year from now, if Pastor Tony has me come back at another date, right, to do something else, maybe do one of our Kingdom Rise conferences right here. Amen. We do a multi-day event. Um, you're better because of the word spoken yes. that we left. All right, and the goal is is that we want you to be the most effective you can be in your community because Jesus depends on it. Amen. He depends on it. Now I can't speak for every other church here. Okay, at the end of the day, and not, we're not responsible for those other churches. We're responsible for this one, this vision, and what it's supposed to do in Omaha and then beyond. Are you with me? All right, y'all ready to get in the word? Okay. Today, I want to talk to you two-part series. I'm doing a series. See this? Because I'm not a teacher, two messages are a series for me, okay? <laughs> so we're doing a two-part series. You get part one. It's called Not of This World. Say, I'm not of this world. Now, you know what Jesus said. He said, Father, I'm not, they are not of this world just like I'm not of this world, okay? So if you're not of this world, then why do you look like it? Okay, the only way you're going to look like it is because you're in a human suit. I get that. But outside of that... There should be no commonality that you have with the world. All right? So if you have some commonality, we're going to talk about it. And you can repent. Are you hearing me? So it's not like, oh, he's talking about me. No, it's, Lord, I'm done with that. I'm going to go to the other world. Amen? Okay. Matthew 15, 3. We should start here in Matthew 15, verse 3. It says this. And he answered and said to them, why do you transgress the Mamment of God for the sake of your tradition. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you so much for Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We thank you for his redemption, uh, for the life he laid down so that we could have life. We thank you for the Holy Ghost that seals us as children of God. We thank you for your love that you demonstrated to us by sending your Son. You're in heaven. And Jesus is in heaven, but the Holy Ghost is here. And so, Jesus, we make a demand. We make a demand because you said, now when he comes, that is the spirit of truth, he's going to cause all things to come to our remembrance. He's going to guide us into all truth. He's going to teach us all things, and he's going to disclose things to come. We make a demand that the Holy Ghost do exactly what you said he would do in our lives this morning at the reading and ministering of the word under the anointing through the spirit of God, which is love, that we would receive the engrafted word of God and it change our soul, save it, renew our minds. We do not want to be like this world. We only want to be what a child of the king looks like. And We give you honor and glory and praise for it in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. We have to admit that we must examine ourselves once we've made this new life in Christ because a lot of things that we've done in life have been uh, learned through our sight, Uh, the way we manage, the way we function, the way we process, the way uh, we respond with our emotions. We're bringing something we've learned, whether through our childhood, through a work environment, something. And we even bring it into the church, so much so that we can create a tradition with Scripture and it be an error. I periodically... um, uh, Go back and re-examine everything I think I know. Now, when truth is communicated, then you cannot dismantle it. The more you try to say it's not, it just is. Okay? Because once a truth is found, it just gets strengthened in the word of God. But if you think you know something and you begin to go forward and it, all of a sudden there seems to be holes, then you should let go of what you thought God was. and let's find God for who He is. The same should be about you, because too many of us bring our old self, in our, as far as our thinking's concerned, into this new life in Christ. Give you a case in point. Maybe you've said this, I know I have, because I was raised in a denominational church where I had this tradition. I'm just a sorry sinner saved by grace. That is a lie. Now, I was a sinner, I have been saved by grace through faith, but now I'm a believer. And now that I'm a believer, a child of God, I do not associate myself as a sinner. Could I sin as a child of God? Yes, but I'm more conditioned to not sin in the spirit than I am to sin. So instead of making an excuse to sin, I learn how God can train me to not sin. So I don't have a sin consciousness, I have a Christ consciousness. And that comes with a change of thinking, which means I don't see myself as no good anymore. Because God made me worthy. Who am I to tell God, you're wrong, I'm really not that way. Okay, let me go over here. Why is it we want to hold on to our ideal about ourselves when God says, I've made you something different? Amen. Amen. So there's a lot concerning Scripture a lot of times that we've just really developed a tradition and it hinders the Word of God to be active in our lives. Amen. Jesus, when He preached in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, says this, From that time, Jesus began to preach the kingdom. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, first thing we need to know is repent is not a religious word. So we need to eradicate the thought of religion. Period. In fact, if you even study scripture, religion's only used a a couple of times, one specific in James. But we are like thinking we're in some kind of religion and we are not at all. So we need to get rid of that tradition. Okay? Jesus said repent. Repent means change your thinking. That's what it means. Now, most of the time evangelistically, we're like you are going in one direction and you do a 180 turn. Well, you know, the people who preach that, why do they still live the other way? Okay. I mean, if you really did 180 terms, then why are you still dabbling in sin? Why are you still living according to your flesh? Hallelujah. It really means change your thinking. Now, one translation means this, which is kind of shocking when you say it. It means side with my party. So you want me to give you uh, uh, what the form of repentance is with a in a U.S. political position? I was a Republican, now I'm a Democrat, or vice versa. You see what I'm saying? Or vice versa. That's what it means. I, I am sold out to the party of uh, to the Democratic Party. Then somewhere. I've been changed in my thinking. Now I'm sold out to the Republican Party. Jesus is saying, you're sold out to the governments of the world. I need you to sell out to my government. I need you to think in my realm. It says, repent. Why? For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's in your midst. It's, it's within grasp. Okay. And so if we're going to live the life that God's called us to live, then we're going to have to learn how the kingdom operates and quit trying to fit our Christianity in an American society. Are y'all doing all right? I would submit to you that most churches have democratic Christianity. Why do I know this? Because they pick and choose what they want to believe. Hallelujah. But we don't get to pick and choose what we want to believe. Now, we have choice, don't get me wrong. But if you want to choose life, then you have to do what the king says. So we need to repent. Charles Spurgeon said it this way. I believe the one reason why the church has so little influence over the world is because the world has so much influence over the church. I mean, he said this a long time ago. Boy, if he was alive today, he'd be like, the the church is of the world. Now, when I say that, it's a blanket statement. That's not entirely true because the church Jesus is building is still alive and well. And that's this church, the one Jesus is building. Are you hearing me? Okay. So, uh, uh, a particular... A man of God who's gone on to be with the Lord made these statements. He said, the greatest tragedy in life is life without purpose. The greatest challenge in life is knowing what to do. The greatest mistake in life is being busy but not effective. And The greatest failure in life is being successful in the wrong assignment. I am so concerned about believers that are successful in their American Christianity but are failing to do the purpose of God with His church. Are you hearing me? And again, we're not here for every other church. We're here for this one. We're here for this one. William Booth, who started the Salvation Army, he said this. The danger that confronts the coming century, so this is 19, late 19, 1800s going to 1900, which is the 20th century, but we're in another century. But he said this back then. He said, the chief danger that confronts the coming century, which was the 1900s, will be religion without the Holy Ghost. Christianity without Christ. Forgiveness without repentance. Salvation without regeneration. Politics without God. And heaven without hell. Wow, that was prophetic. Was it not? I refuse for Anchor Faith Church to fall into that category. Right? We should refuse to live that kind of so-called Christianity. Are you hearing me? In fact, I'll submit to you that the Bible has nothing to do with Christianity, actually. Christianity is a term that's been picked up because uh, some people that were outside the kingdom, they were lost people in Antioch, saw the apostles function and disciples function in such a way that they titled them Christians. Now, there's nothing wrong with the term Christian. Don't get me wrong. It just means to be Christ-like. The problem is, are we really Christ-like? Because Christ like is not, I go to heaven when I die. That's not a Christian. Okay, I'm gonna say that again. Christianity is not, when I die, I go to heaven. That's not Christ like. Because Christ was not walking around waiting to go to heaven. Neither was the man who was originally created in the earth. Let's look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. That means he's a carbon copy. He's just like me. He's my DNA. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them have what? Not a religion. Adam was not given a religion. So Adam didn't lose Christianity. Let them have dominion. Over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. One translation says, let them rule. Now, these are tough phrases for us because at the end of the day, we are stuck in a fallen state. But if you only bring scripture based upon Genesis chapter 3 and Revelation chapter 20, you'll actually miss what God is saying. Even though technically you will find truths and you can understand some truths, you'll never get them in context, which is why we wrote the forest. We're hugging trees, and we miss the forest. Which means you'll miss things of God. And there are a lot of people who are dying, being present with the Lord in heaven, that never needed to go when they went, only because they did not realize that in the kingdom there's a health care system. And that by his stripes they could have been healed. But they didn't believe that he would heal. They knew he could, but they didn't believe for them. And so they leave their body prematurely. Am I I preaching to a faith church here? Okay. So at the end of the day, we know that the only reason is not because it wasn't God's will. Because they didn't know health care existed. Hallelujah. Man was given dominion. The Bible's about a king, his kingdom, and his royal offspring. That's what it's been about. It's always been about this. Obviously, the king came and fought for his nation. This is what he told Pilate. He said, Pilate, in John chapter 18, he said, Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? He says, did somebody tell you about me, or did you learn this on your own? He says, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your chief priests and your nation's handed you over me. What have you done? He said, my kingdom... Now, when we read this, let's read it in context because a lot of people get this wrong. Kingdom is not heaven. Heaven is a location, just like earth is a location. Kingdom is a government that can exist in both locations. Kingdom literally means king's dominion. Are you hearing me? And God gave Adam dominion over the earth. In essence, Adam becomes the king of the earth to manage the earth that the Lord owns. Y'all don't believe me? Okay, good, I'm glad you do. Because dominion means to govern, to rule, to control things. It means to manage things. It means to master something. It means to have rulership. So Adam lost lost a kingdom, not a religion. Therefore, the redemptive work of Christ would be the reestablishment of his kingdom on earth. We are so obsessed with heaven, God is obsessed with earth. You think I'm wrong? Then why did Jesus say this? Now, when you pray, pray this way. Our, your daddy, my daddy. Our father, not his father, our father, who art in heaven. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom, Um, your will be on earth. He's obsessed. He created heaven created an earth that's perfect, no sin, puts a man and a woman in the garden to have dominion to rule over it, and he didn't say, now, Adam, I sure miss you. I wish you'd come up to heaven. Nope. He would come down in the cool of today. Why? Because that realm and his realm looked alike. We, in our Christianity today, have become so asphyxiated on just destination, Instead of understanding the new birth is not about a a destination when you die. It's about who you become. It's about becoming a child of God. And because I'm a child of God, now my Father who's in heaven will take care of me while I'm on the earth. He will never leave me nor forsake me. He did not get, get forgive me of all my sins Said, "Now You're going to have to deal with the devil all by yourself down there, bro. I'm just waiting for you to get up here. It's going to be tough. It's bad. Well, it is going to be tough, and it can be bad, but he says, hey, in this life you'll have trials and tribulation, but be of what? Good cheer. I have. So why are we crying when the problem comes? Because a, a, a child of God who knows who they are in Christ is not crying when a problem comes. A child of God who knows who he is in Christ says, well, my dad has an answer for this. because I can tap into, here it is, another culture, because I'm not of this world. Jesus said, my kingdom's not of this realm, for if it were, my servants would not let me be handed over to the Jews. As it is, my kingdom's not of this world. Now when he says that, what he's saying is he's not saying, my kingdom is not in this world. My kingdom doesn't function like worldly kingdoms. If it did, just like yours, my servants would not let me be handed over to the Jews. Well, who's his servants? Well, you understand, Jesus, what did he say in the garden when Peter cut off the high priest's, you know, servant's ear? He said, Peter, don't you know that I can call my army? Come on, I got any army people in here? Hoorah! Okay. Um, Don't you know I can call a legion of angels down? Now, you know, a legion of angels... That is decimation to a world population. Yeah. How do we know our history book tells us? Uh, I'm going to send one down. He's going to take care of 185,000. One angel, not Michael, not Gabriel, one angel unnamed has enough strength to bind the devil in a chain and put him into the bottomless pit. Man, the devil's coming after me. The devil's going to get chained, apprehended, and bound up by one angel we don't even know their name. Now, we know Michael's a big deal in the, in the rank and structure of angels, he's, he's the guy. So, this angel's not even in that rank, and he's just holding a chain, waiting. Watching the devil wreak havoc on humanity. And he's like, I got a chain for you. Day's coming. I'm going to chain you up, bro. Right? So kingdom, then, is not a religion. It's a government. Right? Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7 says this. For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government. I'll let them get it up there for you. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. I want you to see it. This is in your Bible. Unto us a child is born, a son is given. I said to the men yesterday, notice a child's born, a son is not born because the son always existed. Okay? A child is born, a son is given. Why is the child born? Because God gave the earth to man. I said he gave the earth to man. And because he gave the earth to man, it required a man to get the earth back. Now when I say the earth, I'm saying how it functions. God never lost the planet. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. But how it was functioned, the authority that lied within it was handed over to the devil when Adam ate the fruit. This is why we say this statement. If Adam had never eaten the fruit, where would he be today? In the garden, right? Where's that garden located? On this planet. So that tells us Adam was not sinking when we all get to heaven. What a day of rejoicing that will be. He wasn't doing that. But we're singing this. Instead of saying, everything about scripture shows God coming down, God coming down, God coming down. Old covenant comes down, came down in fire, came down as a smoke, came down in the tabernacle, came down, came down upon the prophets, priests, and king. Then in the new birth, he comes, Jesus comes, he's Emmanuel, God, not God hoping you come to see me after I'm done. Then he does one better. He says, now that I've done this work, I get to come and have our abode in you. And we're living so substandard. (laughs) Lord, give us revelation. Because we are the greatest species on the planet. There's only two people on the planet. Children of God and children of the devil. Now, what we look like on the outside is irrelevant. If you want to know who your family is, follow Jesus. Jesus says, they knocked on the door. Jesus is preaching and said, hey, your mom, your brother and sister outside, they want to talk to you. Jesus says, who is my mama? Now, if your children said, who's my mama? Some of you mamas slapped your child. (laughs) And you'd say this, I brought you into this world. See, you already know how to finish it. I got you. I got you. Right? Jesus says this about Mary. Who is my mother and my brother and sister? Then he he qualifies his family. Those who do the will of my father is my mother, my brothers, and my sister. Are you doing the will of God? Then I'm looking at family today. I said I'm looking at family today, right? Some of you just got a little more tan than I do. But during the summer, you'd be surprised how I will beat you in tan. Girl, I'm telling you, you are too light-skinned. You show up in the summer, and I'm going to make you look like a white person. (laughs) Now, that's truth. I'm going to tell you right now. Girl, that's truth. Okay, you come down in the summer and watch it. she would be like, what? I'll be like, I'm telling you, you are too fair. (laughs) Is it not true, Pastor Marcus? It's true. There's a guy in our church, man. I came back from a um, Key West trip. Pulled my pant leg up. He pulled his up. I was darker than him. He said, here's your soul card. I said, thank you. (laughs) Put it in my pocket. Hallelujah. (laughs) Amen. All right. Just so you know. It says this, for a child is born, a son is given. Let's stay focused. Help me out. Thank you, Jesus. And the government. And the what? Government. Government will be upon his shoulder, we'll call, uh, his name will be called all these things. Let's go to verse 7, because I'm going to key in on government here. Of the increase of his government and peace, there'll be no end. So when did the government show up? When Jesus showed up. Is it in the earth today? You bet. In fact, Daniel prophesied when Nebuchadnezzar had a dream about an idol. When this government would show up, And that a rock made without hands, well, we know who that is. Who's that? He's the chief cornerstone. It crushed all the governments of the world and then turned into a great mountain. Listen, you need to get this. What we are in right now is a global takeover. We are in a global takeover. So many Christians who are so focused on heaven are more concerned about trying to figure out who the Antichrist is and the one world government he is. And we're like, ooh, we're not about one world government. You are one world government. You are the final one world government. You are the final government that will exist in all creation in the heavens and the earth. You are the only government that will last forever. It is a global takeover you're either a citizen of it or you are cast into the lake of fire as a treasonist. Period. And our just king is the judge of this deal. I thank God I'm on the winning side. Are you hearing me? So there'll be no end upon the throne. Thrones are in kingdoms, not in religions. And over his kingdom in order to establish it with just judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So we are in a government, not a religion. In fact, Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, and I'm going to read it out of the Passion Translation because it does a really good job of explaining the church. It goes this way. When Jesus was asking, who do people say that I am? Who do people say that I am? Who do people say that I am? And they gave him some answer. And and then he said, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, who's the Christ? Christ is not a last name. It's not Jesus' last name, Christ. That's not it. Christ is title. It's title. Okay? And that's the Greek equivalent to the Hebrew word Messiah. Now, by definition, it just means the anointed one in his anointing. Right. But we know in 1 Samuel there's an example of what it means to be anointed because when they rejected God as king, as you can read in 1 Samuel chapter 8, on your own, they rejected God as their king. They're like, we want to see a man who's our king. And Samuel's like, you do not want this. And goes to God complaining. He says, give the people what they want. They've not rejected you, but they've rejected me as king. Then when he... Gave them the guy they saw, or by sight thought would be, God put an anointing on him. Well, you understand, Jesus said this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me. When the Father said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, because the Holy Ghost had come upon him and anointed him, in essence, he's saying, This is the King of the earth. This is my King. So Christ literally means the anointed one and his anointing or the king who is coming to establish his kingdom and it will have no end. And I don't care, even when the church is taken away, the kingdom of God will not be eradicated from the planet. It will still be the most powerful force in the earth, even without the church. although And again, the things going on is not about the anti- It's about the wrath of God. There are going to be more God displays during the tribulation than there are antichrist displays. It pales in comparison. In fact, as I've studied, I realize it's one of God's greatest mercy moments. It's like last-ditch effort in this particular dispensation for people to repent. Hallelujah. But he goes on, and because Peter recognized that in essence Jesus is the Christ, he's the king, he says this to him in Matthew 16, 18, the Passion Translation says, I give you the name Peter a stone, and this truth of which I will be the bedrock foundation on which I will build my church, my legislative assembly, and the power of death will not be able to overpower it. So, and we're going to talk about this next service, so I'm going to give you a little... We're going to talk about the church, because the church, in essence, you came to the embassy today. You, remember, you know, you are ambassadors for Christ. And you're not of this world. So in order for you to be in territory that you're not of, you're going to have to go to an embassy so that you can hear from the home country in order to communicate to the territory you are representing him in. All right? So, the church is a legislative assembly, right? Amen. And Jesus has come to reestablish his kingdom in the earth. Why? Because the devil took it. Look what it says in Luke chapter 6. I've already referred to it in the temptation of Christ. It said, the devil said to him, I'll give you all this domain. Luke 4, 6. Are y'all with me? I'll give you all this domain in its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I can give it to whomever I wish. If the devil actually didn't have it, it couldn't have been a temptation. He literally had it. Well, the devil didn't actually have it. Yes, he had it. I mean, that's me taking Pastor Tony's keys from him. You got your keys on you? Are they in the office? Okay. Do you have yours? Okay, did they? Yeah, I'll do your watch then. Um, If I say, I'm going to give this car away right here, I'm giving it. Who wants this car? Raise your hand. Now, I can give you the car, but you understand I'm really not authorized. Right? Because it's Pastor Jeanette's. But if it's really mine and I have title deed, then you know I can give it away. And he was willing to give it under a condition. I just need you to bow down and work. Because the devil only has one thought. The same thought he had in Isaiah 14. That's right. yeah. I want to overthrow the throne. Yeah. That's right. Didn't work in heaven, but it worked on earth. Yeah. Yeah. He overthrew the throne. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus came to take that throne back. Amen. Are you hearing me? Yeah. Hallelujah. And in doing so, it gives us the right to be able to get back on a seat. This is why it's so important for you to understand when Ephesians says that we've been raised up and seated together with him in Christ. We are seated on his seat. We are being put back in position. The redemption of Christ is not about getting us to heaven. It's about making us children of God, sons of the king, putting us back on the throne where we can walk in our dominion and walk and rule in our circumstances and cause the power and plan of God to happen in our life on the earth just like Jesus did. That's the plan. That's why the church exists. Because the world needs to know you're not alone. And there's a creator, and he's coming back for his creation. You might want to get back into family. Yeah. So at the end of the day, the devil has nothing on me anymore. He's a defeated foe. I'm a child of the king. I'm looking at royalty this morning. So I don't care where you grew up, who your mom and daddy was, your grandma. I don't care what economic status. I don't care what kind of tragedy or how you are a victim to some system. It means nothing when you cross through the blood. You get on the side with the kingdom. Now you're in a royal family. You are a peculiar people, a chosen race, a holy nation. You get rid of the rest of that stuff. You crucify that thinking. We are children of the king. Woo! Glory to God. Psalms 45:6, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness. Uprightness or righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. Psalms one hundred three nineteen. this is speed round. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Psalms 145, 13, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. One translation says a kingdom of all ages. Jesus said when you prayed that the kingdom would come on the earth, Jesus said seek first his Kingdom and righteousness is His way of doing things. And everything else is going to get added to you. You don't have to seek it out. You just do the plan and purpose of God and the things will run you down. Yeah. You know why? Because Luke chapter 21 verses 31 to 32 says it this way. I'll slow down for them to put it on. Luke 12, 31 to 32 says this. But seek his kingdom and the things will be added to you. Here it is, verse 32. Do not be afraid, little flock. For your father has chosen gladly. This translation gives you good pleasure to give you the kingdom. I am afraid of nothing. Nothing. I'm not afraid of a disease, a virus, inflation. I'm not afraid of a government. Bible tells me, if God be for you. He said, what can man do to you? When a mandate comes my way, I run it through the king. Because he has the final authority. The world is not going to define the church to me. It has no authorization. Because it has no authority in my kingdom. It is actually subject to mine. Are you hearing me? I mean, let's just read our history books. It's a bold guy. By the name of Daniel to say, tell the king, don't kill us. I get the answer. Because I'm going to go to a higher authority. I'm appealing to a bigger court. Now, we're talking about the king of the world at the time. Hallelujah. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, same thing. Law of the land It's mandated. Well, we don't want to, you know, offend our neighbors. And what's the big deal? Just get down on your knee real fast, get up. You can still love God. Oh, y'all want to hear it? Okay, fine. No problem. I mean, the end times, you know, there's going to be some stuff out that you're going to have to define your culture. Yeah. Amen. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego not doing it. And they said, there's some guys that ain't doing what you say, King. He says, what? He said, bring them here. He said, now listen. Maybe you're just confused. <laughs> this is a Pastor Earl paraphrase, okay? Maybe you're just confused. We're going to play these instruments. You're going to bow down. Correct? Because if you don't, I am the government, and we're going to kill you. And they said, we don't even have to think about this. We will never bow down. Period. Because even if our Lord decided to not deliver us, it doesn't matter. We'll never bow to you and your government. Boy, he got mad about that. (laughs) Heat it up. (laughs) I said, heat it up. Right? Problem is we don't want to go in the fire. But the fire calls the national revival. Yeah. What if all the churches during the pandemic, instead of shutting down, said, come arrest me? What if they'd have just done that anyway? Made every mun- municipality have to deal with them. Been the greatest church incarceration that there is. What if that had happened? But what if that would have turned national revival? Because the policy of Babylon didn't change until they were thrown into fire. But when they were thrown in the fire, the ones who threw them in dies. The stuff that bound them's burned off, and they in their regular clothes, and the Lord's with them. And now the ruler says, "There's a higher power than me. We need to repent." Okay. Are you hearing me? Because I'm gonna tell you, the devil's gonna tell you about what's what's gonna happen to you, what's gonna happen to your people. But you only have a peep, the only people you have are the will of God people. That's your people. Don't be duped into what they're saying. No, the Father's given us a kingdom. Y'all doing all right? (laughs) Hallelujah. Colossians 1, 13 to 14. We're doing pretty good. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness, that's the power of dominion, and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sin. We were transferred into this kingdom the day we were born again. And now it's alive in me. And, the, and my father says, now when I give you the kingdom, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Which tells us situations are going to come to try to bring fear to us. But what's he say? And you can read it through scripture. Multiple times the Lord in dealing with national conflicts against his nation, he would say, don't be afraid. What did he tell Joshua? He said, be strong and very courageous. Do not fear. Do not fear. Because I'm going to put you up against some nations that look bigger, tougher, and badder than you. I don't care how many nukes China has. I don't care if Iran gets one. It means nothing to me. Because I have a weapon of warfare that they don't have. It's called a sword in my mouth. Now, you know as well as I do. You know, you can have one, you know, like a hand grenade. It's going to do some damage. But you put a bunch, you know, you get more capacity, you know, a bigger volume together. It creates more destruction. So my one mouth can do something, but when the whole church starts speaking in unison. Amen. Now, I'm going to just be quite honest with you. Really not happy about our U.S. government. So I just got a Pew report today that the majority in the House and Senate uh-huh. is still professing Christians. And they're not only on one party that profess they are believers in Jesus. Now I don't know, they listen to a different Jesus, I can tell you that. Because again, they've taken the Jesus that's being sold to them. Where are you going to go when you die? Instead of he's in you and you can stand against this stuff and begin to stand for morality and let the king come in and do. If those people would just actually unite around the word, if they'd actually read it. Because heck, they don't even read half the stuff they pin anyway. At the end of the day, you know they don't believe what they say because half the things they say, they don't even believe themselves. So we have professing Christians who have the greatest power on the face of the planet, the third person of the Godhead living on the inside of them, and our nation looks like this. we acting like we want church revival. I want political revival. I want the saints that are born again that we've elected to actually serve the king. Instead of their party, I have no faith in men anyway. I have faith in God. (laughs) You understand? But it's a travesty that we actually have a majority of believers in Christ in government, and yet we have the issues we have. That just tells me they don't know who they are. They are in religion, they're not in a kingdom. Because the king always does his word. Okay, hallelujah. Why? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28. Therefore, since we have received a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. My kingdom cannot be shaken. My kingdom will put me in a position that I will be persecuted. We'll see this here in a minute. Because here's the thing. The kingdom we are in has a culture. Culture is a lifestyle, a way of life for citizens manifested in their language, dress, eating habits, values, morals, and sense of self-worth and self-concept. In essence, culture is a set of shared values. Right? And we should have a set of shared values that come straight from the king. We have moral principles of right and wrong behavior. It conforms to a standard. At the end of the day, as my culture, and we'll get into it next next service, but as an ambassador for Christ, I don't speak of my own initiative. I said this to our men the other day. If someone comes to me and says, what do you think about marriage? I have no opinion in the matter. But my king says, fornicators, adulterers, and homosexuals shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. That doesn't make me fearful of fornicators. Because at the end of the day, they try to push the church to be afraid of homosexuals. I don't tolerate fornication. But what do we do? Because we don't know the word, don't know how to accurately um, represent the kingdom, we allow them to bully us. And we don't know how to respond because we don't want to like... Well, we're not loving. We don't we're not loving. Listen, I'll tell them point blank. If uh, someone homosexual came to me and began to say, "What do you?" I said, "Look, man, you can do whatever you want to do. God will let you do whatever you want to do, but He will hold you accountable for whatever you do." That's, at the end of the day, I mean, don't be bad at me. I'm just telling you, you're not going into the kingdom. Period. It's not happening. Because it's not the culture. Liars are not in the kingdom. It's not the culture. Gossips are not in the kingdom. Murders are not in the kingdom. They don't inherit it. The Bible tells us the types of behavior that does not function or get the kingdom. So the church has to demonstrate this culture. I tell our church there's only two fights that I have. The one the scripture literally talks about, we fight the good fight of faith. But there is another one, it's called culture. Because in the church, we're gonna have a kingdom culture. Now, is there mercy? Is there long suffering? Is there teaching a brand new believer to renew their mind and come out of it? Th- sure there is. If you come in fornicate, and I'm not going to necessarily go and say, hey, you can't come to church till you get that right. Heck, you may not even know how to get that right yet. Right. I've had people come to our church, found out that they were sleeping together, didn't approach them personally, but preached from the pulpit. And st- times it would come up, and I would talk about fornication. I know of at least three couples who came to me and says, we're wrong. Will you marry us? Yeah, well, we're living together. Well, somebody's going to need to move out. They come back the very next service with a marriage certificate. Do I say, well, we'll do this tomorrow? I'm like, let's go on up to the upper room. I got an upper room. Let's go up to the upper room. We'll do this right now. Because it's more important for you to be righteous. Are you hearing me? Because the preaching of the word will cause the culture to want to manifest. Don't resist the culture. John chapter 15 verse 19 says it this way. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this the world what? They hate you. They hate you. amen Amen. hallelujah when you choose to truly come out of this world and separate to live the kingdom standard you will be persecuted period that's why on social media I do not allow social media to dictate how I respond to world events nor tell me my lack of response is a response Why is the world listening to the church? I mean, why is the church listening to the world? (laughs) Well, it's really because we don't know the culture. In many churches today, we really have an American culture instead of a kingdom culture. And we like our American gospel more than we do the kingdom gospel. John chapter 17 verses 14 to 16 says this. I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world even as I'm not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world. What? Then why are we so bent (laughs) on heaven? But to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world even as I'm not of the world. What I love about Jesus coming on the planet is that he came on the planet when no one is born again. He came on the planet when it was documented to have the worst government. The most terrorizing, brutal government. And the government couldn't touch him. His own people wanted to touch him, but they couldn't even get to him until it was top. He could avoid it to the point that he passed through their midst. But he didn't shy down. Jesus was not known for his similarity. Oh, you don't want to hear this. Jesus was not known, oh, I can identify with him. He's a human like me. No, they identified him as one who had authority. And they're like, this guy's different. He ain't like the scribes and the Pharisees, man. When this guy starts talking stuff that we've heard You know, them preach this stuff different and he has to be from God because look at the power. Look at the miracles. And Jesus said, if I cast out a demon, then the finger of God has shown up. I mean, it's the kingdom. And then all he preached was the kingdom of heaven is like this and the kingdom of God was that, that, like this. Only one time at 2.30 in the morning a.m. to a religious guy, he said, you must be born again. He never publicly preached, be born again. Never. But because he demonstrated the culture of the kingdom, droves came to say, what must we? We want to live the culture around us and tell people about heaven and don't know why they won't answer the question, where are you going to go when you die? Like there's no urgency. Yet if you'll live the kingdom, they'll come to you and say, you're not of this world, like, what's going on in your life? You're like, man, you're going to have to get born again to get what I got. (laughs) Are you hearing me? We're doing evangelism all wrong. Can I just submit it this way? All religions ask this question, where are you going to go when you die? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Jesus never asked, you know where you're going to go when you die? He told a man on a cross, because he said, Lord, will you remember me when you get into your kingdom? So then he let him know where he's going to go when he dies. Son, you'll be with me in paradise. Today, you're going to be with me in paradise. And the one over here now? <laughs> Not so much. Amen. Luke chapter 6, verse 61 to... Now, Luke chapter 9, verse 61 to 62 says, Another said, I will follow you, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said, No one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Now that I've pastored for almost three decades now, there are some things that I do a little different. I do not beg people to get into the kingdom. Very rarely do I delay an altar call. Like, just keep asking. I'm like, this thing's too good. You should get up and run. I got people building rafts from Cuba trying to come into Florida because they want to be in a nation that's better. You should jump up out of your seat and get into a nation that's better. Let me just say this. There are no illegal aliens in the kingdom. And there's only one way in. It's a gate and a door. I mean, I can show you kingdom because all the governments of the world are trying to reproduce the kingdom of God without the raw necessary material called the Holy Spirit. God never opened his border. But he does have an open door. And it's the only way. He'll never climb over any other way. You'll never dig in any other way. So it's not really love when we just want anyone to come in any way. Oh, you don't want to hear that. That's fine. I don't care. And this is the problem because we think that's love. You know, listen, you, you think, I, I have a church in Nicaragua. I've gone down there. How many have been to Central America? A few. The rest of you have no idea what they're really living in. You're believing the narrative you're seeing. You're listening to their talking points. You're letting them build the narratives of these people's lives so you begin to have sympathy for stuff that you have nothing, of, know nothing of. But all that they're going through is nothing compared to the lake of fire that your neighbor's going to. That's living in a house that's nice. That's got a great job. That's got all the degrees and the finance. And when the Lord looks at the world, he's not looking at what nation you're from. Naturally, are the things, he's looking at you whether you're righteous or unrighteous. And he still says, in that condition, as bad as it is, and I feel for you, there's only one way in. And there's no other way in. And love does that. We're letting governments define love to us. And then it messes with our biblical doctrine because then we'll get messed up if you really start looking at Jesus. Oh, yeah. So a lot of people be haters of Jesus even in this room. Jesus looked at an old woman and said, The bread is for the children, I don't cast bread to the dogs. Jesus said that to the Syrophoenician woman. And she said, but master, even the dogs eat crumbs from the master's table. He said, honey, you're going to get exactly what you came for. Now, did God not care about this woman? No, the plan was for the house of Israel. The plan for the Gentiles is coming. Jesus wasn't trying to fulfill the Gentile plan. Paul has that. Oh, y'all don't want to hear this. But the woman made such a demand outside the nation of Israel that he could not deny her faith. And he never denies your faith. And she got what she came for, according to your faith. Are you hearing me? So what's the culture of the kingdom? Let's read it real quick. I have gone one minute over. Please forgive me. We'll probably go seven. Um, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. We need to see this. This is the culture of the kingdom, people. We need to get this. This is a passion translation. It reads good. It says, so... Starting in verse 17. So with the wisdom given to me from the Lord, I say you should not live like the unbelievers around you who walk in their empty delusion. Their corrupted logic has been clouded because their hearts are so far from God. Their blinded blinded understanding and deep-seated moral darkness keeps them from the true knowledge of God. Because of spiritual apathy, they surrender their lives to lewdness, impurity, and sexual obsession. But this is not the way of life that Christ has unfolded within you. If you have really experienced the anointed one and heard his truth, it will be seen in your life. For we know that the ultimate reality is embodied in Jesus, and he has taught you to let go of the lifestyle of the ancient man, the old self-life, which was corrupted by sinful and deceitful desires that spring from delusions. Now it's time to be made new by every revelation that's been given to you and to be transformed as you embrace the glorious Christ within as your new life and live in union with Him. For God has recreated you all over again in His perfect righteousness and you now belong to Him in the realm of true holiness. So disregard every form of dishonesty and lying so that you will be known as one who always speaks the truth for all, for we all belong to one another. But don't let the passion of your emotions lead you to sin. Don't let anger control you or be fueled for, uh, for revenge, uh, nor, not even a day. Don't give the slanderous uh, accuser of the devil an opportunity to manipulate you. If any one of you has stolen from someone else, never do it again. Instead, be industrious, learn earning an honest living, and then you'll have enough to bless those in need. And never let an ugly or hateful word come from your mouth but instead let your words become beautiful gifts that encourage others. Do this by speaking of grace to help them. The Holy Spirit of God has sealed you in Jesus Christ until you experience your full salvation. So never grieve the Holy Spirit or take for granted His holy influence in your life. Lay aside bitter words, temper tantrums, revenge, profanity, and insults, but instead be kind and and affectionate towards one another Has God graciously forgiven you? Then graciously forgive one another in the depths of Christ's um, love. Uh, Dr. Miles Monroe says this, There is no such thing as coexistence in the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom does not come to the earth to coexist. It came to take over and transform. In the kingdom, there's only one vision, one will, one standard, one law, one belief system, one value system, one moral code, one code of ethics, one uh, uh, code of conduct, and one culture, the kings. The existence of any other constitutes rebellion. Are you hearing me? So, just in closing, Revelations 5.10, just to remind you today. Revelations 5.10. Revelations 5, 10. And you have been made a kingdom, a royal race. Are you hearing me? A kingdom and a priest to our God, and they will reign, 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 and they will reign. Not when they get to heaven. They'll reign on the earth. I reign now. Jesus is the king of... Who are those kings? You're those kings, and you're those kings today. Not tomorrow, not when you die, but now. I said, but now. So let's reign. I said, let's reign. Let's have the culture of the kingdom. Let's live and die only for the kingdom. Let's let the kingdom be the only thing we eat, breathe, and drink. Let it be the most passionate thing that we have in our lives because when we seek first the kingdom, then anything going on in this world will come to us that help us fulfill the plan and purpose of God. How do you get in this nation? One way. You must be born again.